The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 11, Tales of Brave Ulysses. Gabriella hadn't slept. She had taken her time taming Taylor. Patience well spent. He would come calling again soon. Later, upon returning home, she had quite suddenly gotten the irresistible urge to call Javier as well, who dutifully answered. The woman in the mirror was growing stronger which both excited and scared her a little. She wasn't sure what she was going to do next. Now, late in the afternoon, she sat at her home display in a daze. Her body was desperate to nap, but her mind wouldn't release its grip. She sifted through the data from Javier's team, searching for anything that might connect with something else. She went to the kitchen for some coffee, straightening the picture of Grandpa Andreas as she passed. Good girl, he would have said. The world is yours for the taking, as it should be. Returning with a fresh cup, she rubbed her eyes and appraised her cue. Now there was something, right at the top, from Memphis. Reading the report, she frowned. Two VEF travelers, both westbound from Brooklyn, but female. At first she thought it may have been an error, but reading more, the descriptions were definitely not those of Lars or Harry Selvin. There were photographs attached. A middle-aged, stocky woman with a young, baby-faced one. Like the Seldons, but gender-reversed. The older woman was definitely hardcore VEF, judging by her wary expression and military posture. Possibly mother and daughter, and one of them was likely a seer. The older woman, Enola Giamarco, her wire claimed, looked like she had seen a few things. Facial recognition had her as a potential match for Romana Vinson, a known pre-secession terrorist with a medical background. What was Barrett up to now? Someone else was on their way to see Whalen. She needed to know why. She scanned the source bio. Maynard Mills, a low-level informant working the safe house. Not likely to be any good for getting more intel without setting off VEF alarm bells. She needed bureau professionals. One in particular who hadn't gotten any sleep either. She shot a message to Javier and copied Taylor on it. My boys, do as you're told and you'll get a prize. And so would she. Nina awoke in a room without windows. No clocks, only the dim glow from a data display. Slowly, she remembered where she was. Overpainted walls reflected the blue light back in splotches. The building hadn't been a brothel for decades, but somehow it still felt like one. She hoisted herself upright on the cot, forcing consciousness to come more quickly. There was no sign of Vincent. She didn't know how long she'd been asleep, 
In the absence of a mirror, she ruffled her hair into something she hoped was fit for public display. She did have a change of clothes in her bag, but it was cold in the room. She didn't feel comfortable burying anything in that place. With a quick sniff of her shirt to verify relative freshness, she stood up and grabbed her peacoat. It was the one nice thing the VEF had given her. They certainly weren't spending money on heating. Making her way downstairs, she surmised from the increasing noise that it was a mealtime. Stepping out of the staircase at the back of the restaurant, she saw that the crowd was approaching capacity. The air smelled of hamburger and fry grease. A glance at the windows up front showed dim light from outside, suggesting it was probably the dinner hour. Good. She could use something to eat. As she passed the back office, she peered in, only to have an apron thrown in her face. We had two people calling sick. She recognized the smarm of his voice before she managed to get the stained cloth off her head and give him the stink eye. Take the front three tables. Her first instinct was to throw the apron back in the office and walk out. But she saw Mal working feverishly at the grill and felt a sense of duty to him, if not to Captain Fuckface. Casting her gaze around, she saw no sign of Vincent. Naturally, the old biddy wouldn't be caught dead waiting tables. Of course, she herself had no experience in food service. So she decided to try her best impression of the waitresses she'd seen in movies. Being a retro place, there were actual pads of paper and pencils on the bar. That was clever, considering the manager had no access to LifeCast. Make it an ambiance thing, and the risk of being discovered went down. She approached the first table, a foursome of business casual 30-somethings. It occurred to her that this was her first intentional interaction with a group of wireds. She didn't know what to expect. As it turned out, they were very friendly, knew exactly what they wanted. The place only did soul burgers and various fried sides, so there wasn't much room for error. She wrote the orders down quickly and made for the bar. From the grill, Mal spotted her and stopped for a moment in surprise. Putting down his spatula, he made his way towards the counter. Maynard's idea? Figures. Just be careful. You never know who's around here. Although right there is someone you may want to meet. Nina turned and through the door strode the most dapper old man she had ever laid eyes on outside of a film screen. Under a fine cashmere overcoat, a tailored gray suit encased a trim, graying man, topped with a snazzy fedora. His goatee was well manicured, and it housed a knowing grin directed at Mal, who stepped out from behind the counter to shake his hand. Look who it is. Well met, my young man. You got any space at the bar? Always. Mist, this is my friend Caden. A pleasure, Miss Caden. Unlikely as it may sound, my name's Mist. That does sound a bit unlikely. Well, there's quite a bit that's unlikely around here. Mist makes a lot of things happen in this town. It's all in who you know. Table two! Nina pierced Maynard's skull with a glare and shuffled off. This table was full of drunken college guys who kept changing their minds about what kind of beer they wanted. Eventually, she suggested they try a pitcher of each. There were only three brands on tap anyway, which they accepted. She hurried back to the counter, trying not to look annoyed. She didn't know how Mal did this every day. But then she really didn't know how anyone did anything outside of a mental health facility. A nervous little voice at the back of her mind prayed for an episode-free day. Mist sipped quietly at a beer bottle, staring off into the middle distance. When he spoke, she wasn't sure who he was addressing. But the wad of bills in his hands seemed to lean in her direction. Could I trouble you to put something in the jukebox for me, Miss Caden? Sure. Anything in particular? Oh, ain't nothing bad on that box. She did like the old contraption. It was a relic. Had been for years. 
Unlike most things in Wired territory, it only accepted physical money and played real vinyl records. The songs on there were ones she knew, not the splice and dice stuff on the car radio. Gladys Knight sounded about right for starters. She picked a few more from that era and took off to pick up orders, stealing a glance at the strange visitor who was now bobbing his head almost imperceptibly to the beat. After an hour or so, the rush died down. Nina gratefully tossed her apron into the office. She plopped down at the bar next to Mist and hailed Mal. Can a working girl get a burger? Mal smiled and nodded, throwing a fresh one onto the grill. Her guardian was still nowhere to be seen. Looking around, she spotted someone lugging a bass drum through the doorway. Hearing the clank of metal on metal, Mist turned his head and saw the drummer. Miss Caden, would you mind clearing a hole for my man Justin? Over by the window. Just scoot the tables. Ain't nobody there now. Nina had never seen a live band before in her life. She sprang over to make space. On the sidewalk, she could see a few more men and women with instrument cases and speakers. At least one good thing would come from this trip. Having removed all obstacles, she jumped back onto the bar stool, dug into the burger and onion rings waiting for her. As hungry as she was, they tasted like fried heaven. It occurred to her that she could order a beer if she wanted to. She didn't even know if she liked beer, but she asked for one of whatever Mist was having. The band had loaded in, shaken hands with the old man and were getting everything set up. The place was still half full, with patrons drinking more than eating. I guess these are friends of yours? Everybody's a friend of mine. You'll like these folks. I never do know what they're going to play next. Half the time I think they don't either, but they always pull it off. So what is it you do exactly? Mostly I know people. Someone needs something, I know who to ask. That must pay well. On occasion. Mind you don't get ketchup on your coat. Oh, thanks. She took a bite and tried the beer Mal had placed before her on Mist's request. It tasted like carbonated wood in a good way. She watched the setup in the front. There was a drum set, saxophone, upright bass, trombone, and one of those thick jazz guitars. She wanted to smell it. The thing looked so old and seasoned. There was a microphone stand in the center, topped with an Elvis-style mic. The scene was so perfect she couldn't believe it wasn't on a film. And of course, that's when Vincent walked in. Spotting Nina immediately, she jerked her head towards the back staircase. Nina narrowed her eyes. Great, she thought. Back to the bordello. I'll save your seat. Apparently he'd seen the exchange, but didn't seem perturbed or surprised. That in itself was worth noting, whatever it might mean. Nina followed Vincent up the stairs, noticing the sound of more footsteps behind her. It was Mal. Nina was relieved. She hated one-on-ones with her captor-slash-rescuer. Closing the door behind the two, Vincent threw her coat down. Well, we're in a bit of a pickle. Mal, your man across town says he's gotten reports that the line has tightened in recent days. He's not willing to risk getting too close. Any guess on why they're beefing up? I'm curious about that myself. There are a few possibilities, but none I can share with you, unfortunately, for your own safety. Of course. You know what, though? Give me a sec. I'll be right back. I do hope you've been minding your manners. Mal and I are getting married. Unlikely. You don't have a dick. What a cruel, horrible thing to say, Nina thought. She wanted to slap her. But suddenly, she could tell both from the throbbing in her eyes and from Vincent's expression that she was having an episode. The doctor rushed forward and caught her, laying her down gently on the cot. Damn the old lady's attention. 
Damn her own need for it. Damn this bullshit to hell. She wanted to scream, but that wasn't going to happen for at least a few minutes. So she stared at the ceiling and surrendered to the dullness in her unresponsive muscles. It would pass. She heard Mal come back in, followed by another set of footsteps. She heard their conversation as though through the other end of a long tube, clear but with fuzzy edges. Enola, this is Mist. He's safe. Pleased to meet you, Miss Enola. Don't worry. I ain't hooked in. Enola Giamarco. Any friend of Mal's is a friend of mine. Huh, Nina thought. You don't have any friends. Is the young lady all right? Yes, she just has brain seizures from time to time. She can hear you even if she can't respond for a few minutes. Good, Nina thought. None of that Vorn stuff in front of these two. She had no idea what they believed. But the less she heard of the V word, the less likely she was to come out of her fugue state feeling stabby. We need transportation to the line. Mal's first pick just turned me down. Apparently, the perimeter has tightened in recent days. Well, you don't want two. You want through. Well, we have to do one before the other. Well, two gets you captured or killed. Nobody's going to mess with all that. But I can get you through. And how does that work? I know people. Are you VEF? I'm not a card carrying anything. All I do is help people in need. And from what I can tell, you need all the help you can get. Now, the line is not what it sounds like. There ain't a big wall of helmets all up and down the middle of the whole damn state. Big stretches of it are automated. And you can get around that. I know a couple of spots and friendly folks on this side of them. Coming from here, I'd go through the fort. Worth? Walters. Abandoned army base. Not many people around. There's a green belt from there all the way through to the other side of the border. Sensors can be knocked offline for a few minutes while you pass. Even if anyone comes out to check... It'll take them a while to get to that part of the woods. Are you sure that hasn't changed? I'm getting reports of a tighter ship than usual. Ain't enough troops to guard all the miles between Mexico and Oklahoma. I can put out some feelers if you want. No, don't. That could attract attention. How many people have you sent through on that path? Mm, dozen or so. None of them heard a peep. Now for the protection of that route for others and for your own safety, I'm going to have to insist on driving you to the drop-off spot. Nina's heart skipped a little. It would be good to have company that wasn't VEF. I suppose that makes sense. You've got transportation? Wait. I'm not taking the bends, Mal. I got a low-key ride for situations where I don't want to be noticed. Oh, come on. Can I ride in a classy car for once? Young lady, you and I are going to miss a hell of a show downstairs if we don't get moving. We have details to discuss. Tomorrow morning, 10 sharp. We'll have time to get some breakfast before we cross the river. Shotgun. Mal stayed behind to settle Vincent down and answer her bajillion unanswerable questions. Nina couldn't have cared less. Stepping off the stairs, her ears were filled with the sound of music, reverberating off of every surface in the place. The space in front of the street side window was a frenzy of activity, each player putting their own oomph onto the funky groove. She felt the old codger start to bounce the beat next to her. She wasted no time enjoying it. Sure, they might all die soon, but at least she was going to live a bit first. Waylon Lilly had never been afraid of the dark. As a child, he would sneak out into the backyard after his parents were asleep, with even the starlight blocked out by overgrown live oak trees. He used his tiny flashlight to illuminate the nocturnal activities of roly-polies 
spiders, and other night dwellers. Somehow he felt as if he belonged among them. Indeed, even encounters with possums, snakes, coyotes, and other fanged fauna had always ended peacefully, the creatures seeming to acknowledge his right to roam their lightless kingdom. That had changed the day he saw his firstborn. Even at a remove on a screen through the ODA, the sight of these creatures he had heard described countless times crept into his confidence about his place in the world. Here was something that, if real, was not a part of the universe he wished to belong to. Staring at the blackness outside his bay window, he wondered a bit about that. Why would it matter to him if such a thing existed? Unseen parasites were the rule in nature, not the exception. Replace an electron microscope with an ODA and you have the equivalent of discovering dust mites. But this was different somehow. It bothered him that he didn't know why. Part of it, obviously, was the doubt surrounding their existence. There still remained the strong possibility that there were a hallucinatory side effect of the rewiring process. He knew how imprecise some elements of that procedure still were despite the team's long-distance efforts to tie up loose ends. And the correlation of the seer population alongside the Godhelma percentages strengthened the argument for their non-existence. Maybe. And yet, he had seen them. With his own eyes, albeit second-hand. And they had seen him. Out on the cracked prairie, he felt them watching him. From somewhere. Somewhere he couldn't see. Somewhere in the dark. The true dark, not the backside of a sphere revolving around a star, waiting for sunward rotation. These things lived in a darkness impenetrable by man, or at least by him. He stared out the window warily, taking a hefty pull on his joint. The urge to draw the blinds was nearly overwhelming, but he would not give in to the fear. He turned off all the lights in the house, the better to see the night as it truly was the night he had felt safe in all his life. And now something moved in that darkness, something which did not belong. It was coming for him and getting closer. A chill moved up his neck. He shook it off and stood up, walking away from the window. He was freaking himself out. No analysis of the problem would be effective if he brought fear into the equation. How many times had he told his students that? Emotion did nothing but taint observation and lead to wild roadrunner chases through false assumptions and wishful thinking. He willed the old Dr. Lily's certainty to return, bring him back to reason. Thinking about it, his head nodded in understanding. Isolation. Apart from Arshad, Haley, and Franco, Lily had not been in a room with another human for 28 years. His grip on reality was bound to slip here and there. And of course, the last exception to that solitary confinement had been Clifton, who was a fluke among flukes. Lily needed an outside opinion. His eyes had adjusted enough to the dark that he could find his desk. He squinted a bit as the display blinked on, breaking the natural gloom with its electric glow. Opening a net gateway, he held his breath a bit while putting in a query. He'd thrown a bottle into the ocean yesterday. Now he would see if it had been found. It had. And there sat another, atop his result list. Dr. Antichrist 23B, posted late last night. Stone's nickname for Barrett their freshman year, plus the dorm room number. Lily stared at the display for a moment. 
This was like the bay window, except he knew who he was up against. What he didn't know was why or how. And he was sure Dr. Antichrist had no intentions of showing his hand if it didn't serve his own purposes. Still, he had to know. He clicked and read. Are you not moved when all the sway of earth shakes like a thing unfirm? Oh, Cicero, I have seen tempests when the scolding winds have rived the knotty oaks. And I have seen the ambitious ocean swell in rage and foam to be exalted with the threatening clouds. But never till tonight, never till now, did I go through a tempest-dropping fire. Either there is a civil strife in heaven, or else the world, too saucy with the gods, incenses them to send destruction. Julius Caesar. Prick, he's fucking with me. But he had little choice. He clicked the profile and got an email address. The wireds had to be patrolling the rewired net. The likelihood of them uncovering this particular message was low enough that he decided to be blunt for once. Riddle me this. What is the likelihood of HBL being cracked right after Sergeant Superseer reaches escape velocity from Brooklyn? He hit send. The wee hours of the morning ticked away. He did not expect a response immediately. Patting his pockets, he realized he'd left his wizard people carton in the dining room. Retrieving it, lighting one up and sitting back down. His pulse quickened as he saw an email response sitting atop his queue. The siren sings, but also listens, lest she miss an approaching victim. Lily's face flushed. Even with all that had happened between them, it angered him to see Barrett immediately scapegoat Gabriella. It felt too easy, too cheap. Haley was right. It didn't make it impossible. Until he knew what Barrett was up to, Lily's default setting needed to be trusting rewired citizens over those in the wired world. For the moment. Taking a deep breath, he typed again. If she knew about HPL before the jailbreak, why wouldn't she have broken it then? The reply was quick. How are we able to have this conversation? Lily cursed. It was a good point, despite the source. The existence of the rewired net after all this time was suspicious in and of itself. The wireds had the resources to shut it down, but didn't. What other purpose would that serve other than surveillance? Perhaps the same was true about HPL. But if that were the case, then why affect its compromise now? He put the question to Barrett. Why aren't we able to have it via HPL? A moment passed. Something moves in the darkness. Lily backed away slowly from the screen. He fought the urge to look behind him at the bay window. Barrett was no mystic. He was being fucked with again. He just couldn't see how. Another line appeared. Two by two they come. One is the lock. Another, the key. One is at your doorstep. The other follows on its heels. The doctor frowned. Obviously this was some reference to Selden and his companion. Had they gotten separated? But no, he'd said two by two. God damn it, this cloak and dagger stuff was pissing him off. But Barrett must have some reason to keep it cryptic. However, knowing what he did about the man, that reason might have only been to do with irritating him. He wrote back. So if my math is correct, and feel free to check it, two plus two equals four. He fought the urge to amp up the sarcasm, but it would do him no good. He waited. 
The window is closing. The siren's cry grows louder. Best that your men tie you to the mast now. Lily's fist clenched. Of all the people... He calmed himself, remembering to focus on the facts he needed for Haley. For the Republic. The number had gone unremarked upon, so another pair of travelers was en route. Whether they were ahead of or behind Selden's team was an open question, as was their identity. He needed to rectify that. The homer bit was wearing thin. He decided to play Joseph Campbell. Who but the soldier approaches the innermost cave? Quickly, the parry came. An innocent, and her captor, with crosshairs in her eyes. Lily shook his head at the melodrama. Still, he could guess. A girl child seer under the guard of some VEF agent, a woman. How the hell did Barrett know that? It made Lily twitchy. Still, at least he had gotten something to offer Haley. Now he needed something for himself. When the key enters the lock, what is revealed? Hitting send, he waited a few moments before the reply came. A light, and a path into the darkness. A chill went up Lily's spine, but it was followed quickly by a rush of anger. Barrett knew something was toying with him. The time for treading lightly was over. I need to know what you know. The window is closing, you say. How? The next part pained him, but he had to ask. Help me understand what I'm about to face. Why warn me of a danger and keep its nature secret? We don't have to like each other to be on the same side. Help me. He sat back as the display stared passively into his eyes. Two minutes passed. Then three. This was deliberate. Lily hated himself for needing Barrett. For trusting him. Dr. Antichrist knew that. And made him suffer for it. Finally, the reply came. You know who closes the window. The danger lies not in what comes your way, but in where you will seek refuge when the storm makes landfall. Cover your ears. She sings, even now. Lily breathed hard. Haley had said the same thing. Why did no one trust him not to contact Gabriella? Why didn't he trust himself? But it was like trying not to think of pink elephants. There it was in the corner of his eye at every turn. A portal into the lost world into Eden. But the fall had come 28 long years ago. Now there was only plague and devastation, greed and avarice, lies and false gods. He shut off the display. Fuck Barrett. Fuck all of them. No one could be trusted anymore. He would tell Haley what he knew. The rest were nothing but taunts from a minotaur who'd gotten too big for his labyrinth. It was to be expected. Decades ago, Lily's team had been accused of playing God. Perhaps they were. And when the gods went to war, the earth trembled. Barrett held the cards now, but he would not be here when the storm came. Lily reminded himself that the record was clear. Dr. Antichrist, for all his efforts, had still never bested his nemesis. Lily saw no reason why that should change. Indeed, he would make sure it didn't. Dr. Barrett gave it ten minutes after Lily's last reply, 
then shut off the gateway with a satisfied smile. Lily was riled, his natural condition in their past dealings. The better for him to behave predictably. Late though it was, he summoned Foch. The little man had adjusted his sleep schedule around that of his employer, that being no real schedule at all. Within moments, the beep from Foch's card key sounded at the door, and he stepped in. Dr. Barrett? He liked Foch's adherence to propriety. He reminded Barrett of his father's butler, Ajay, a Ghanaian who had lived in the servants' quarters for most of young James's youth until the crash hit and money got tight. Some men prided themselves on perfect obedience. And Barrett had respect for that. Better to know what you are and be the best at it than to grasp at unreachable heights and fall short. Mr. Foch, at ease. What news from BDF Field Intelligence? We have a sighting of the Seldons leaving the VAF house in East St. Louis. They were followed to the docks where they boarded a barge, presumably as employees. It is presently sailing southward. Any updates from Memphis? No change in location at this time. Dr. Vincent visited a VEF allied trucking company, but returned to the safe house. And the line? Still tight, but no changes since the initial troop movements. The doctor was torn. Much as he would love to see Vincent blasted to smithereens, it wouldn't do to leave Golding unprotected. If they don't leave by tomorrow night, deploy an agent. There are routes, but the VEF may not know them. Very good, Doctor. Will there be anything else? Yes. I'm about to get some sleep. You should do likewise. The next few days will not afford us many opportunities for rest, I'm afraid. Of course, Doctor. Dismissed. The doctor removed his glasses and rubbed his eyes. He'd stayed up to get what he wanted. And Lily had given it to him. Perhaps Barrett could rest peacefully for a change. Unlikely. Still, it had to be tried. There was more than one wolf in this hunt, and he would need all his wits about him when she made her appearance. been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Petra Wright as Dr. Gabriella Neidhart, Trista Morris as Nina, Clay Anderson as Mal, Benjamin Napier as Mist, Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, Ed Rogers as Dr. Wayland Lilly, Derek Davis as Dr. James Barrett, and Dan Herman as Eugene Foch, written and narrated by Matthew Broyles, theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 12, All the Woo in the World.